Scripture, that the shepherd who feeds us, who leads us, who guides us, will quiet us by his love. Such an awesome picture to draw for us. This, question, uh, this morning, I, I want to ask us a question just to think about, just to kind of reflect on and, and maybe chew on for a minute. What's, what's the condition of your heart this morning? As you walk in the doors of the sanctuary and find your seat, what's, what's the condition that you sense your heart is in this morning before God? Is it joyful? Maybe it's, maybe it's burdened. Maybe you're, you're feeling guilty. And, and the, the sense that you feel in your heart before God is a sense of guilt. Maybe you, you sense relief. Maybe that guilt has been dealt with and you sense relief in your soul before God. Are you feeling maybe stressed out and tired? Maybe your, your, your heart is hurried and cluttered. Or maybe you're sensing satisfaction and contentment this morning. See, whatever, whatever condition you might think about and reflect on, on your heart before God this morning, I don't think that's a question we necessarily give ourselves opportunities to sit with and, and to think about and consider very often. See, I don't think we, we, we take the time to slow down enough and think about what's the condition of my heart before God. But I think when we do, when we get that opportunity to, it's so refreshing because we realize in that moment, we give attention in that moment to the depth of which God wants to work in our hearts and our lives. And I imagine, as I think about picturing this, I imagine it's a little bit like being a gardener. You know, in previous years, my family's had the opportunity to, to take a little piece of the yard that's been dug out already and plant some things there. We've, we've planted pumpkins, we've planted cucumbers, uh, we've planted tomatoes. Not something we oftentimes have done in the past. We haven't really grown a lot as a family, but we certainly did it for uh, the past couple of summers, and, and it was a lot of fun. But for whatever reason, this past spring and summer was kind of hectic in the Van Horn household. And so, uh, for one reason or another, we, we really didn't get to the point of planting anything in the garden. In fact, we really didn't do much with the garden. And, and this picture we have up here is, is kind of the result of that. Let's see if we can pull up a picture of our garden. Are we able to do that? Awesome. Just a second. It's, it's, uh, it, it, anticipation builds, and you will, you will appreciate how wonderful our garden looks. Yeah, that's, that's, I, that's an intentional try to grow wildflowers, you know, I, I was, no, there's actually no intentionality at all with this garden right now. That as, I, as, as we look at, at this garden, uh, we, we, we realize, or I realize that, you know, as I came into the spring, the summer, I, I really wasn't asking the question, what do we want to plant this year? What do we want to grow in the garden? I also wasn't asking the question, what do we not want to grow in the garden? Obviously, I mean... We grew some things that I wasn't planning to grow. Even, even, even those uh, black-eyed Susans, thank you, thank you. Those pretty yellow flowers, I'm not even sure if they're a flower, but they look, they look, okay, good. So I grew something in my garden, didn't even mean to, and it's beautiful, right? See, I think sometimes we, we treat our hearts before God in a similar way that I treated my garden this summer. We kind of leave it up to chance. Now, we, we come to church on Sunday morning. Maybe we go to a small group. Maybe, maybe we're involved in a Bible study of sorts. And, and that becomes a place that we enjoy going to. But when we show up, we're there, and we leave our growth up to chance. We, we don't necessarily recognize that, that there are questions we should be asking as we're in these places. 
Asking questions about what the things are that God wants to cultivate in our lives. What are the things that God wants to grow in our hearts? Is it a deeper sense of dependence on him? Is it a greater appreciation of the gift of his forgiveness in Jesus Christ? Is it the joy of knowing that all our needs are met in God? Whatever it is, there are, there are questions we need to ask and be intentional about considering to cultivate the soil of our hearts. There's a, there's a, a word that we use around the, the church it's called disciple. You may have heard it. Maybe you don't know what it means. Maybe you do. But being a disciple of Jesus really just means that you're someone who follows Jesus. You, you sit at his feet and listen to his teaching. You consider how he lived his life and you follow him. You live like Jesus. You serve with Jesus. Being a disciple of Jesus is really quite simple and yet also very complicated. As we follow him daily, as, as we follow Jesus more and more and fall more and more in love with him, we become more like who he is and, and embrace who he's making us into. This relationship of following Jesus is at the very core of Christianity. Time and time again in the Gospels, these first four books of the New Testament that kind of record for us the life of Jesus, time and time again in these Gospels, Jesus invites his people to follow him. He invites people to sit at his feet, to learn from him, to understand who they are before God and how deeply the Father loves them. He invites them to follow him and to serve others, to be generous with their lives. But this invitation to be his disciple is never quite so easy. When I think about that, I think of the call of, of Peter and Andrew. They were two fishermen, and, and as they were doing what they do best, as they were fishing, Jesus comes along and invites them to follow him. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. But you know what? Before they can actually do that, before they can actually follow Jesus, they've got to do something else. They've got to surrender. They've got to lay down their livelihood, their nets. They have to lay down the very things that they kind of produce security with in their lives, their jobs, their careers, to follow him. Throughout the Gospels, when people tell Jesus they want to follow him, he says, okay, follow me. But in order to do that, they need to surrender some things. In order to, to, to turn in the direction of Jesus and follow him, they need, to, they need to cease. They need to stop. They need to surrender what's going on in their lives to follow him. It's not easy. It wouldn't have been easy or, or even a simple decision to drop your livelihood of being a fisherman to follow Jesus. It wouldn't have been easy to, to no longer make your career or your family your number one priority, and yet that's the invitation, to follow Jesus. In Luke 9, 23, Jesus tells her, his followers, and by the way, he tells us these very words. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Actually, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. A key word I can't leave out there. See, to be a disciple of Jesus and to follow him is to forsake the life that is, is self-focused. It's to say no to the daily life that wakes up seeking our own self-satisfaction and yes to the life that says our soul will only be satisfied in a relationship with the one who created it. Let me, let me emphasize that. Let me say it one more time just to make sure we, we, we hear it clearly. To be a disciple of Jesus and to follow him is to say no to the me-focused life and yes to the life that follows Jesus in surrender and servanthood. 
This, this is a life of generosity. And Jesus invites you and I to follow him as well this morning. He's invited us to be his disciples. And the reason I want to mention that to you is to, is to make something clear to us, is to, to reiterate, to, to emphasize that generosity, this thing that we've been exploring and talking about all this year, it's not an action. It's not an act or something we do. It, it, it's an aspect of our character that's developed in a life of following Jesus. It's a character of Christ-likeness that is cultivated, that is shaped, that is formed in a relationship of discipleship sitting at Jesus' feet. Much like the picture of the garden, if we, if we leave the transformation of our hearts and our minds up to chance, you know what? We're going to be shaped and molded by the very things that surround us and pressure us. Our culture, our stresses, whatever it is that's exerting pressure on us from the outside of us. But But if we follow Jesus, if we trust his words, we're going to see him plant the seeds of Christ-likeness in our souls. We're going to see generosity as one of those seeds being cultivated in our hearts and our minds. As I mentioned, it's it's not an action. It is to a degree. I, I get it. I mean, we can't be generous unless we take action. But the type of generosity that's cultivated in your soul, it's not some momentary action, but but character of Christ-likeness that's grown in us. If you, if you showed me your selfies, I don't know if you know what those are, but a lot of us young ones, uh, we take lots of selfies, right? Pictures, we just basically hold this camera up and take pictures of ourselves. It's a common phenomenon. Go look it up. If you were to show me your selfies or, or just pictures from your life, right, I wouldn't recognize that as generosity apart from you explaining what's happening in that picture. The reason why is generosity is something that's cultivated at a much deeper heart level. And it bears fruit through action, but it's an aspect of our character that God wants to transform, wants to cultivate in relationship to Jesus. As we sit at his feet, as we, as we turn to him as disciples. Cultivating generosity in the life of his people has been God's plan all along. It's cultivated in his people as they, as they follow Jesus and as they remember God's faithfulness, who God is, and his promises. So this morning, we're going to turn back in our Bibles a little bit to Deuteronomy chapter 8. And, and so I want to encourage you to go ahead and pull your Bibles out. If it's your pew Bible, if you brought your Bible from home, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. And, and I want to read for us a passage in the life of Israel that, that helps us take a closer look at the role that remembering plays in, in cultivating this, this life of generosity, this discipleship and following after Jesus. Deuteronomy chapter 8, starting in verse 10, let me read the words that Moses records for us there. It says, You shall eat and be full. You shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. And take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, and when your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery." who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. 
that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Let's pray and thank God for his word. Lord, I I do thank you that you have spoken, that your words have been recorded for us in our Bibles, your word, your scripture. Lord, they are life to us. And so, Father, I pray that you would give us hearts and minds to receive that life today. The life that you have spoken through prophets and through the, the, the fathers that have led and, and leaders that have led the people of Israel through the wilderness and into your promised land. You have spoken to us through Jesus Christ, through his life, through his actions, through his victories. And now, Lord, we receive that word and with grateful hearts. Would you bless us to to have soil that has been cultivated to receive the seed of your word this morning, I ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we pick up in the story of Israel, we we listen to, to the words of a man named Moses. Moses was an excellent leader. He was an excellent leader that loved the people of God, and he, he loved the people that God called him to lead and loved the God who actually gave him that responsibility. So, so when, we, when we pick up in the life of Israel here in Deuteronomy, we, we get a glimpse into the heart of a man who's given his life to God and to his people. See, Deuteronomy is Moses' last words to the people of Israel. They're, they're getting ready to head out into the promised land, to cross the Jordan, to, to kind of take the land that God has promised to them. The problem is that that because of some disobedience on Moses' part, God's not going to allow him to enter into the promised land. And so, so Moses has this opportunity to, to, to give words of encouragement, to remind the people of Israel before they head off into the promised land. And at the end of Deuteronomy, Moses breathes his last and dies, never getting to see the land that God has promised them from this side of eternity. I hope I didn't just ruin the end of the book of Deuteronomy for you, but if you get a chance, read the whole book. It's an awesome book filled with some great reminders and encouragements and really cool realizations about the people of Israel and God's plan for them. What I picture here as Moses is speaking is kind of like a coach getting ready, getting his team ready in the locker room before they head out to the game. You know, he's reminding them of their game plan. He's reminding them of what they've been practicing, what they've been rehearsing in the wilderness. He's reminding them of, of who they have that's written their game plan. He's getting them pumped and excited He's getting ready to, to, to get them cheering before they run out the tunnel and onto the field. The only problem is he won't be following the team out there. But, but don't lose the sight of this, that, that Moses wants to send the Israelites with a very clear message. So because these are his last words to the people of Israel, he's filled this, this, this book full of reminders about God's covenant with his people, his, his purposes, his plan. He, he's filled it with reminders of God's faithfulness his promises, and his future for Israel. See, God was was concerned with reminding his people of who they were before they crossed into this land because he knew what what was coming for them. He, He knew that they would face influences, these outside pressures that wanted to shape their hearts and minds. And God was concerned about his people maintaining their identity, remaining the children of God, walking as the children chosen of God. 
He knew that they would come face to face with a people that, that had different traditions and, and a land that was filled with riches that would, that, w- that would be competing for first place in the heart of the people, in the heart of the Israelites. And so this is why in, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, we're able to look at these words and, and, and see that Moses reminds the Israelites of the value of God's word to them. He says in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I'm teaching you, and do them, that you may live, and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. He's saying, hey, this word that I'm giving you, don't lose sight of it. Don't let go of it. This is going to protect you as you go into that land. Don't forget who God is. Don't forget what God has promised you. Don't forget who you are. Just a a few verses further down in that same chapter, in verse 7, we could read this. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? Whenever we call upon him. And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Only take care. And keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. How on that day, on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and they may teach their children so. God wants us to hear his words. And not just hear them, but to treasure them, to hold on to them, to remember them. Because he knows the danger we face ahead as we cross into the promised land is forgetting who God is, who gave them that land, who gave them the riches that they have. See, our memories of God and his promises and his faithfulness to his people serve a great purpose. They they fill the gardens of our soul with good things, with faith, with hope, with love. When we remember God and his word, we're more aware of both the healthy and the unhealthy attitudes and character growing in our hearts. When we take the time to remember what God has said, we can't help but reflect back on what that word is doing inside of us. That's the gift of remembering. Remembering God and his word reminds us of the boundaries he has wisely and lovingly set for us. You see, God doesn't give us these laws and stipulations that that Moses was just talking about to put us in bondage, but to set us free. And I think about this as a a parent. What parent uh, allows their their children so much freedom that puts their life at risk? I, I would never allow my kids to go out, not just to the front yard, but so far as to be able to just play on North Benson Road out here. I know what dangers and risks abound there. Now, I tell my kids, hey, listen, mommy and daddy are okay with you playing in the backyard from the edge of the parking lot to that far tree over there where we can see you all along, where you can move and run and play within that spacious backyard without the risk of all those cars whizzing by at fast pace. See, the stipulations I lovingly give my kids to play in the backyard give them boundaries to safely and freely play without concern. And so it is with God. God lovingly spoke these laws and these commandments and stipulations to his people that they might have a spacious freedom to live within, 
a freedom and a blessing that, that he had promised to his people a long time ago, but, but that he knew was surrounded by risk in this world. And remembering that promise, remembering those, those stipulations, those laws and the commandments, the history of Israel played a key role in maintaining their identities as followers of God as they crossed the Jordan, as they headed into that land to take hold of what God had promised them. Take a look <clears throat> at Deuteronomy chapter 8 with me, if you would. Back to the, the passage I read for us before. I want to just quickly look at these first four verses here. <clears throat> Moses says, You shall eat and be full. You shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Take care lest you forget <clears throat> the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. The, the Hebrew here in verses 10 and 12 of that idea of being eating, eating and being satisfied, it really is so much more than just a physical satisfaction. I mean, we know that feeling when you've eaten enough, right? And you feel physically satisfied. But the satisfaction that Moses is talking about is when you cross into that promised land, you, you are going to sit pretty. You're going you're gonna to feel pretty comfortable. You are going to be satisfied with the things that God is giving you. <clears throat> and he knows that day is coming. He knew that once the Israelites were no longer living off that daily provision of manna and quail, when they, were no, when they were no longer living off those daily provisions of God in the wilderness and were living off the daily provisions of God in the promised land, the, the land of riches, the risk that they faced was becoming complacent and forgetting God. See, God was no less their provider in the promised land than he was in the wilderness. But the, the promised land came with great risk. See, as time went by, the risk increased for them to believe that they were responsible for providing their crops, their comforts, and their riches. As, as time went by, it was more and more possible for them to, to puff up their chest, to, to lift up their hearts and strut around as if they had provided all that was before them. I don't know if you've ever gone through a period where you, you were without a job. I certainly had that for a time before seminary where <clears throat> there was about a, it was just a couple months, but it was certainly a time where, I mean, I felt like I was walking in the wilderness. I was ashamed. I was embarrassed. I wasn't, I wasn't providing for my wife. We had to make all these changes to how we lived. It was, it was a tough time for me. And so when God provided a job, when he provided a place for me to provide income, man, I was, I was, so, I was so proud. I was so excited. I was so thankful to God. I was, I was so grateful for what he had provided. But, you know, it, it didn't take me long to start to realize the things I didn't like about my new job. It didn't take me long to, to get to a place where, you know, I realized the, the difficulty of what God had provided for me. Uh, you know, not necessarily always being the most satisfying job. You have to do things that you don't always want to do. And, and, and soon I forgot the gift that he had provided in this new position, this new career. And so I just think it's, it's, part, of our, it's part of our human nature to forget. It's part of our human nature to 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 forget our, our origins and, and the gifts that we've been given. <clears throat> it's part of our, our human nature to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to and to so easily forget our humble position. 
I remember there was a time in this position, in this job that I had gotten where um, I was being asked to do some things that I had never done before and I didn't think I was going to be able to do. And I did it, and I remember walking away from that opportunity. I mean, our company sent me out to Cincinnati to, to, to actually stay at our client site for two weeks and, and to help them with the process. I don't know what they were thinking in sending me there, but I remember walking away from those two weeks thinking, eh, look what I did. You know, like, God wasn't in the equation of my thinking at that point, right? I'd stepped out to do something that I never anticipated I'd be able to do, and yet somehow in reflection, when I had completed it, I'd remove God from that story. It's part of our human nature. It's just the risk we run, the danger we have to forget God and forget what he has provided and where he has led us. There's a story of the people in Genesis chapter 11, the story of the Tower of Babel. And in that story, we see human nature exemplified, or not exemplified, but, but pretty clearly what is the nature of the human heart. See, as the people gathered in Genesis chapter 11, as they, they gathered, they became more confident in their own abilities. They, they became so confident that they wanted to make a name for themselves. And we can read these words in Genesis chapter 11, verse 4. They say, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. See, in the, in the account of the Tower of Babel, it didn't take the people long to forget who God was. It, it didn't take them long to, to suddenly forget that, that who their creator was and who they were. All of a sudden, they, they saw themselves as gods. They saw themselves as mighty enough. And you know what? A- apart from remembering God and his, his commandments and his promises, his covenant and his faithfulness, Israel is no different from the people who tried to be like God and build a tower to the heavens. You know, as they did so frequently throughout the wilderness, they would forget time and time again the things that Moses reminds them of here in our passage in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Take a look at the the next few verses, starting in verse 14. He says, Then your heart would be lifted up. By the way, that image that he's drawing, it's not a matter of lifted up in worship. It's a matter of pride, of arrogance. Kind of, you know, as you imagine someone who after they've just done something big and good and strong and and they're, they're appreciating themselves, they strut around. That's that image of lifted up. It's not a good thing. Then your heart will be lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that, you, that he might humble you and test you to do good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand that you have gotten this wealth." You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Moses reminds them of their story. Israel has a story. You and I, we have a story. That story is, through Jesus Christ, connected into God's story, right? But it's remembering that story and remembering what God has done, the, the history of God's faithfulness and provision that we, that, we, that we are able to remember who we really are and move forward. 
Israel had a history of forgetting God and forgetting his, his provisions and his faithfulness. They weren't in the wilderness long before they started grumbling, looking to go back into slavery in Egypt because of their hunger. They had just been led through the, 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 the Moses divided the Red Sea, or God did through Moses, divide the Red Sea, led them through the, the Red Sea, while the Egyptian army was approaching them, coming after them to take them back into captivity. They get into the wilderness, and, and not long after that, they start grumbling. They start complaining. They start saying, oh, man, if only we had those, the, the pots of sledge or whatever it was, the, 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 the goulash or whatever that was provided for us around the campfire at, in Egypt. Man, that was a good life. My goodness, how quickly they forgot how bad life was in Egypt for them. And, and yet, this is, this is human nature for us. It's not shame on Israel. It's the risk that you and I face every day. Even after God had provided water and then manna and then quail, they still grumbled and complained and worried about their provisions and their safety. Even after God had divided the Red Sea and allowed Israel to escape, uh, they still forgot God's provision of safety, protection, and guidance. And so the danger that faced Israel was a, a complacency. It was actually a complacency that, that came from the richness of the land they were entering into. A complacency that would cause them to forget God's past faithfulness and his promises. And see, the danger that Israel faced was falling deeper in love with the gifts that God had provided rather than the one who provided the gifts. The, the, the danger that Israel faced was falling in love with the richness of the land and forgetting their first love with the one who rescued them, redeemed them, and provided for them as his own people. And so the, the discipline of remembering God and, and keeping his commandments were meant to, to guard his people and to keep them within the boundaries of his love and his freedom as they walked into this new land. To, to remember God's commandments and his faithfulness to his people was to remember who they were as they lived in this foreign new land. To, to take care to remember God was, was to build into their lives these boundaries, these loving boundaries so that they would not forget God, they, they would not forget his past faithfulness to them and not forget their, their future identity as his people. You know, personally, I've come to learn the value of not going into a grocery store on an empty stomach without a shopping list. I know that if I walk into that promised land hungry without a guided plan of a shopping list, I'm going to grab that box of Pop-Tarts. I'm going to see that bag of barbecue potato chips. I'm going to snag it off the shelf. I'm going to see those delicious bags of miniature chocolate donuts strategically placed on the end cap to entice me away. I'm going to take hold of that bag, and I'm going to throw it in my cart. We need these boundaries to guide us, to protect us, to help us move forward in God's plan, to trust that he's got the best plan for us, protecting us from the dangers of those chocolate donuts. To remember God was to remember how rich we really are. For Israel to remember who God was was to remember how rich they were as the people of God, not not be enticed away by the trappings of the land. And so Moses' words of caution to the people of Israel ring true for you and for me as well today. There's a danger that, that, that we all face. A danger that we're going to cultivate the, the me life characterized by self-sufficiency and complacency. There's a danger that we're going to forget the God who's provided all of our needs and who invites us to give generously towards others so they too 
can experience a loving and generous God. <clears throat> and you know what? This, this self-sufficient me life cares only for itself. It, it, it begins when we forget God, when we forget his promises, when we forget that he is faithful and forget his past faithfulness to us. And so if we can't live generously toward God and others, if we can't live generously toward God and towards others, if we are consumed with the me life, with the self-focused, self-sufficient me life. And you know what? We can't surrender the me life without the discipline of remember. And so I believe it's this discipline of remember that's the greatest counter, the greatest gift we have to, to, to facing the me life. When we, when we intentionally take the time to, to, to remember God, we hear the words that Moses spoke to Israel, take care lest we forget God. Take care lest we forget how rich we are as his adopted sons and daughters in Christ Jesus. So this week, I want to challenge us all to practice the discipline of remember. I want, to, I want us to, to practice this discipline of remember with three Simple steps. Three, three things we can do to practice remembering God this week. I, and I think it all starts with the psalmist's words in Psalm 46.10. There the psalmist says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. By the way, I would encourage you to, to write these verses down. Because they, they are good places for us to go back to this week to remember the spiritual discipline of remembering. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. To, to remember God, to remember how great he is and how rich we are as his sons and daughters, we have to begin in quieting ourselves. Uh, the nature of the lives that we, that we lead, certainly that I lead, is busy. And, and, and even more so, it is hurried in such a way that we don't oftentimes quiet ourselves, let alone quiet ourselves before God. We have to begin in quieting ourselves. We can't remember God and remember his faithfulness if we don't still our lives and remember that God is God. So the discipline to remember starts when we, when we cease our striving, when we cease our work, when we cease trying to make a name for ourselves or, 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 or create a sense of, uh, of provision for ourselves. When we cease, when we quiet our hearts and our minds and our lives before him, we begin the discipline of remember. This is what I believe the idea behind the purpose of Sabbath. To, 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 to look back on what God has done, to remember God, to, to build our trust in, in his future provisions for our every need. And, and you know, if you, if you still want ideas about how you can begin to be still, consider these things. Carve out time. I know I've said this before. You're not going to find time in your week to do this. You need to carve out the time to quiet yourself before God, to still your soul before him. Carve out the time. Unplug from distractions. You know, I, I, someone gave me the encouragement, so it's not original to me, to, to not plug my cell phone into the, the outlet that's near my bedside table. Rather, plug it in somewhere else in the house. You know, that has been such a gift to me. I realize how quickly my cell phone has conditioned me to, to respond to every beep and every buzz and every light that goes off. And so to plug that in elsewhere is just one way that we can unplug from distractions. 
What is it that's distracting your soul from, from listening into what God is saying to you? Unplug from distractions. Put away your work. They're, they're, you know, we work hard. I get it. But you know what? There, there needs to come a time where you put that work down and where you recognize that all that you accomplish is only by power and strength of God. And so we need to put our work down. We need to find a time, to, like, to find a time to put our work down. You know, maybe for you it's a matter of getting outside. Go for a leisurely walk. Maybe that's the way that you can quiet yourself and still your soul before God. Go for a walk outside. Get away from the distractions of, uh, of electronics, of, of work, of the phone, whatever it is that's grabbing for your attention. These are just a few ideas. There's others. There's other ways you can be still and know that God is God. Those are just a couple ideas. Still your heart. Still your mind. Still your life before God and acknowledge him as our creator, our redeemer, and our sustainer. And then acknowledge ourselves as the work of his hand. That's step one. Be still and know that God is God. Step two, remember. It's kind of redundant, right? I mean, in the spiritual act of, of remembering, we have to remember. But, but that's step two. This is where the work of remembering kicks in, where we are more active. The psalmist says in, in Psalm 103, verses 1 through 8, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to, abound, to, ang- slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You know, there comes a time where we need to remember the benefits of being in relationship with the God of all creation. And that, that looks like turning to Psalm 103 and being reminded of those benefits. You know, in the second step of the discipline of remember, we actually direct our attention to remembering who God is and what he has done. For some of you, it works through a song you play on repeat over and over again. Just ask my wife, Tara, when I'm doing work in, in the office at home, I will play this one song over and over and over again. And I know it's just for this season. I'm sure that, that there will be another song in a couple months or, or another year or whatever. But right now, it's this one song, No Longer Slaves. I love playing that song over and over and over again while I'm working, while I'm reading. It reminds me of who I am in Christ. It reminds me of who I am as an adopted son of God. I love that song. You know, I also love when we gather and sing, Great is Thy Faithfulness. It's one of my favorite hymns. There, there's a, a line from that hymn that goes like that. Well, actually, a couple lines. It says, Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. By the way, I just gave you guys a gift because I didn't sing that. (laughs) But you know what? Every time we sing that song together as a congregation, my heart is filled with reminders of how great God is, how faithful he is, and how rich I am as one of his children. 
So maybe it's a song that you listen to that reminds you of all the benefits that the psalmist talks about in Psalm 103. If it isn't music for you, maybe it's a regular time with a close friend that you grab coffee with. You, you, you have a chance to talk about God's faithfulness to you in the past day, week, month, or year. You, you have a chance to kind of reflect on God's faithfulness to you and, and put hope in his promises for you for tomorrow. And that close friend around that cup of coffee helps remind you of those things. Or maybe you enjoy taking pictures, and so for you, it's filling up a a photo album of different moments in your life where God has provided for you or cared for you or or, or strengthened you as you walk through a difficult time. And so for you, it's as you flip through that photo journal, you're reminded of the stories of God and his faithfulness. Maybe it's a written journal. Maybe that's where you can record your history and your story with God and remember and see how it's connected to God's story to his faithfulness and who he is. Whatever it is this week, I, I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to actually take the time and the space to remember God, who he is, and all his benefits. So step one, we, we still ourselves before God. Step two, we, we remember him. And step three, we finally, we, we treasure God's word in our hearts that it may guide our steps forward. In Psalm 119, The psalmist declares in in verses 14 through 16, he says, In the way of your testimonies I delight as, as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. See, I think there are a lot of things we can treasure in this world. There are a lot of things that that we can we can value, that we can pursue, that we can chase after, but none of them are more valuable and enriching and enriching than God's eternal truth. This week, meditate on God's word. Spend some of your valuable time this week chewing on the fat of God's word, and may it be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Maybe it's one of these, the Psalms that, that I just read for us, Psalm 119 or, 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 or Psalm 103. But maybe, maybe, maybe it's not. Maybe there's another verse of passage that you enjoy meditating on or, or even memorizing. I don't know if you know this, but our children's ministry downstairs, each week the children are being challenged to memorize God's word. They're being encouraged to memorize a passage from the scriptures that they're being taught. They're guarding God's word in their heart, learning to walk by that word. How cool it would be if we were able to lead those children by example. We could share stories with them about how God's word was there in our hearts when we needed it most, even though we didn't have our Bible with us. We had God's word with us. If you need some encouragements about resources you could turn to, I know a couple. There's a book called Scripture by Heart. I have it down in my office. It's it's almost like a devotional book that encourages you of the benefits of memorizing Scripture, but also gives you passages that you can memorize. The Navigators put out a great resource to memorize the Word of God. It's called uh, top, their Topical Memory System and gives key verses to, and passages to memorize, just a way as, as a beginning. But, but don't let the size of our Bible intimidate us from tucking God's Word away in our hearts. These are the things that are going to guide us as we go forward. So step one, we're going to still ourselves before God. Step two, we're going to remember him in all of his ways. And step three, we treasure God's word in our heart that it may guide us as we move forward. Just as Israel had to remember and guard the word of God in their hearts as they stepped into the promised land. Take care not to forget 
our generous God, and how rich we are in Christ by practicing the spiritual discipline of remembering this week. Let's pray together. Father, I do thank you that you are a God who, who loves your people. You have spoken. May we listen. You have sent your Son. May we receive that gift that you have offered us in him. And Lord, I pray that as we, as we consider the depth and the state of our hearts and our souls before you today, Lord, I pray that you would cultivate in the garden of our hearts this, this generous remembering of you, that we would remember a generous God, that we would remember that we are, how rich we are in God, that how rich we are through Jesus Christ, and that that would give us the encouragement to walk forward trusting in you, living generous lives, not the, the self-sufficient life, but the the life that is grounded in following Jesus. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And we praise you for the things you're going to do in and through us this week. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.